Tommy read from, for us from Second Kings chapter 5, which is where we're going tonight. As you're turning there, um, there is an industry that is known as the social media influencer industry that is very lucrative. In fact, it's estimated that between 2016 and 2022, this, um, this um, social media influencer market grew from an estimated $1.7 billion to $16.4 billion. There's a lot of money in this. But what is it for? Who exactly are these social media influencers that we're talking about? Well, an influencer is someone who has the ability to influence others to, to invest in a product um, or a service by recommending that product or service on their social media platforms. Obviously, one key element in this is that the, the um, influencer must have a following, um, it doesn't do much good for a company to pay someone with 10 Instagram followers to recommend their products. You're looking for someone with lots of followers. The larger a person's social media following, the greater the potential for them to influence people to buy your product. It used to be that, that kind of marketing was reserved for celebrities. Um, Amazon Studios is putting out a movie later this year called Air, which is about the, um, the production of the, the um, Jordan Air um, line of shoes. When Michael Jordan was still a rookie, there was a, someone in, um, at Nike who recognized his potential, and before he even became wildly popular, secured a deal with them to wear and to advertise these shoes. And as Michael Jordan grew more popular on the basketball court, so his shoes became more desired, and um, Nike made a lot of money out of that. But something, and that of course was, as I said, because of a celebrity. But then something changed in around 20, uh, or 2002 or so. There was a lady by the name of Melinda Roberts, and she started a blog called The Mommy Blog. And she just started sharing some of the challenges that she faced with being, as being a mother, and some of the solutions that she had found, and some of the products that she used. And before long, she grew a, a big following. And advertisers realized that as she was talking about these products, People that were listening to her were going out and investing in the products. And so they, they started offering her money in order to do this. And the advertisers quickly realized that you don't always need a celebrity, a, a bona fide celebrity, in order to market your product. Um, sometimes just having ordinary people who have some sort of a following on social media um, is even better because we can relate more to ordinary people than we can to celebrities. Now, of course, those ordinary people, those influencers, very quickly become celebrities of a sort in their own right. Um, <clears throat> but that is what the social media market, um, influencer market is all about. And today, thousands of ordinary people have turned into some form of celebrity through nothing more than their influence on social media. By the way, I don't think that the Christian world has escaped us. I listened to a very interesting interview with someone who works for a, a publishing company recently, and he was saying that one of the first questions that he's asked when, when, when a Christian, a potential author, submits to a Christian publishing house, the first question that, that is asked is, what's your Instagram following? What's your Twitter following? Because if you've got 10,000 followers on Twitter, that's 10,000 potential customers, where if no one knows who you are, well, that's a bit more of a risk to take um, in publishing. Well, one of the things that we are learning in the series on hidden figures is that God doesn't require a great following to use someone powerfully in his kingdom. 
We've spoken about Tertius. We've spoken about Phoebe. We've heard about Shephra and Pua. These are people that, that didn't have a great following, that we don't know much about, and yet God used them to influence people in his kingdom for their good and for his glory. And so tonight we're going to consider another influencer, an influencer who is not even named in the text of Scripture, but who influenced a powerful man for great good. This influencer didn't have social media. She didn't have thousands of followers. She didn't have a fancy camera and elaborate lighting and an expensive microphone. What she had was the truth. And the little bit of truth that she had that she was willing to share with this man in power influenced him for great good. And this influencer story is found here in 2 Kings chapter 5. I just want to read these first three verses again. This is where the, the, the thrust of the story is found. Naaman, commander of the army for the king of Aram, or Syria in some translations, was a man important to his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. This man was a valiant warrior, but he had a skin disease. Aram had gone on raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. And you won't go further than that, but spoiler alert, he went to the prophet in Samaria and he was indeed cured of his skin disease. This man was an important man. He was someone who had everything, position, esteem, adulation, success, bravado. But there was a problem. He had a skin disease. He had, some translations, leprosy. Whatever the specific nature of the skin disease was, it was something that threatened to undo all his potential. But enough about General Naaman, because this is not a series about prominent figures. This is a series about hidden figures. And so we come to our hidden figure for the text this morning, which is, who is identified in verse 2 as, from the land of Israel, a young girl who served Naaman's wife. We don't know her name. We know very little about her other, other than what we're told here. But the contrast between these two figures can hardly be overestimated. Naaman was a commander of a powerful army. This girl was a captive in battle and a servant to Naaman's wife. Naaman was a man. Our hidden figure was just a little girl. Naaman was important and highly regarded. The little girl was nothing more than a common servant. Naaman was a husband and quite likely a father. This little girl had been wrenched away from her family in an act of war, probably never to see them again. But there was one area in which the little girl had an advantage. While Naaman was hopeless in the face of his skin disease, this little girl knew a God who was both willing and able to heal her if he would but humble himself and come to this little girl. Let's come to, come to the prophet in Samaria. So verse 3, she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. This little servant girl is the real influencer in our story. She doesn't take credit for the healing, but she did influence the situation by pointing Naaman to a place of hope. Before we ask what lessons we learn from this hidden figure, let's try to see if there's a little bit we can determine about her from what is told here in the text. First of all, we can say something about her trauma. You can imagine how traumatic an event this must have been when the Aramites came to Israel, very likely killing her family and then taking her away as a prisoner of war. She had been traumatically whisked away by Aramean raiders with no hope of ever seeing the family again. Understand, there was no picture of this girl on Facebook with the pink ladies saying, have you seen this girl? 
There was no profile of her on a milk carton saying, if you have any information, call this number. The police weren't even looking for her. She had been taken away and she was consigned for the rest of her life to be a servant in Aram. I think we can imagine the trauma that she must have experienced in the events of this raid. But we see also something about her training. Because evidently, this little girl had been raised by God-fearing parents. Because she believed that there was a God in Israel who worked through his prophet who could cure Naaman of the skin disease if Naaman would humble himself and go and ask for the prophet. She had a great God which put her in a position to do great good. And yet don't miss the fact that her knowledge was quite basic. She was not a systematic theologian. She simply knew that there was a God who could help in the situation and she shared the truth that she knew. We can see something thirdly about her trust. And remarkably, despite the great trauma that she had experienced, she displayed deep trust in God. Don't, don't miss the fact that <coughs> verse 1 talks about God's sovereignty over international affairs. And verse 2 talks about God's sovereignty in the life of a little girl. This girl realized that the same God who was sovereign in that warfare, who had allowed Aram to defeat Israel, was the God who had allowed her to be taken into captivity and the God who was with her in captivity. She continued to serve God even in adverse circumstances. Her affliction did not cause her to waver in her belief in God's goodness. We see something now also of her testimony. Something of the lessons that we can learn from her just from this little bit that we're told. And as we spend the next 10 minutes here um, talking about some of these lessons, I want to highlight four lessons that I believe we can learn from this little girl who was willing to share the little bit of truth that she had for the sake of her master. First, like this young influencer, we should learn to accept God's will for our lives and serve him faithfully in it. She didn't serve God in her terms. She didn't have an idea, well, okay, as long as, if God takes, takes me back to Israel and puts me with family, then I'll serve him. She realized this is where God has put me and I need to serve him right where I am. Too often we're tempted to forsake our allegiance to God when things don't go as we expect. If God doesn't repair my marriage, if God doesn't boost my business, if God doesn't spare me from the trauma of abuse, then I have no reason to serve him. I only serve God when he does good things for me. This little girl teaches us that there is no benefit in living a life in which we complain about God's providence. We should serve God in the midst of his providence. Centuries later, Paul would, would offer the same counsel to, to the Christians in Corinth. He writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you. If you can become free, all means take the, by all means take the opportunity. For who is, he who is called by the Lord is a slave, uh, as a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of people. Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation in which he was called. Accept God's providence in your life and serve him faithfully in it. Your life situation may not be ideal. In fact, it may be incredibly difficult. But as a Christian, you are called to serve God in the circumstances he has placed you in. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. That's what Paul wrote to the Colossians. Secondly, I think we can learn that like this young influencer, we should serve God according to our knowledge and our ability. 
Again, understand that this little girl was not a theologian. She was not about to go and be interviewed on Christian radio. She was not about to have a TV ministry. She was not going to go and and debate the existence of God with the militant atheists of the day. Her knowledge was fairly basic. But she knew something, she believed it, and she pointed Naaman to somewhere where he could get help. Too often we shy away from being faithful gospel witnesses because we're afraid we don't have enough knowledge. I see here's an opportunity for me to share the gospel, but that person's pretty smart. What happens if he asks a question that I can't answer? Then I'm in trouble. And so I'll rather just keep quiet rather than risk being asked a question that I can't answer. (coughs) We should learn from this girl to be willing to gladly serve or to gladly share what we do know with those who are in need. Let me just say this. If you are a Christian, you know the truth. If you're a Christian, you know that God is holy and hates sin. If you're a Christian, you know that human beings are sinful. If you're a Christian, you know that God sent his one and only son to die on the cross for us so that everyone who would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And you know that this God who did all that for you holds out the same offer of forgiveness to anyone who will humble themselves before him and cry out to him for forgiveness. That's the gospel truth that people desperately need. And even if you can't answer all the other questions, you can point them to the truth of the gospel. Are you willing to do that? Let's see, thirdly, That we should be prepared, I think we learned from this little girl, we should be prepared to serve everyone with God's truth, even those we consider to be our enemies. You know, this girl was taken away in an act of war. She was kidnapped and she was a servant in the household of Naaman. And perhaps you can argue, well, she could have been in a much worse household. But regardless, she was in the household of Israel's enemies. And yet she was willing to share the truth with them. She did not... Look at Naaman and say, does it serves him right? She did not consider it her patriotic duty to resist the Arameans and thereby consolidate Israelite power. She did not smear her face with war paint and cry, give me liberty or give me death. She displayed the kind of character of which Jesus would much later speak. I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Are we the kind of believers that are willing to do good for those that would be counted as our enemies? I sometimes wonder if we would because, I mean, Doug addressed it this morning from 1 Corinthians. So often we are so tribalistic within the church and we're fighting with each other in the church that I wonder if we have energy to actually be kind and to do good to our enemies. Too often, we favor our favorite preacher, as we heard this morning. And anyone who doesn't agree 100% with that guy is our enemy. And so if, if if celebrity A is my favorite preacher and celebrity B holds to a slightly different interpretation of Scripture with him, well, then I must shun everything to do with celebrity B. Even though he's someone who preaches the gospel. And then we wonder why we don't have the energy to love and do good for our enemies. This is a very sad indictment on those who are called by God to love, to do good to, to bless, 
and to pray for their enemies. If we will not even show love to those who are on our side, what hope is there that we will show love to our enemies? I think this little girl leads in that and has a, gr- has a great deal to teach us. But then fourth and finally, recognize that sometimes the best opportunities to serve effectively are from positions of underprivilege. This girl could have just said, well, what am I? I'm just a servant that has been kidnapped and taken away from her. What, what good can I do? But she didn't. She was in a position of underprivilege, and she used the lack of privilege that she had to witness to God's truth. When you lack worldly influence, there is often great opportunity to exercise spiritual influence. And if you don't believe that, look at the Lord Jesus Christ. How did the Lord Jesus Christ most effectively serve us? Did he not do so when he, existing in the form of God, took upon himself the form of a servant? And he came to earth as a man. He emptied himself and, and, and gave himself for us, as Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And through that act of humility, that's how he served us in the greatest way possible. And in that same text, Paul tells us, have this same mind in you, which was true of Christ Jesus. Adopt the mind of Christ. Be willing, even in positions of underprivileged, to serve others with gospel truth. Long before Christ ever assumed the form of a servant, this young girl had adopted that attitude. She was painfully aware that she was not in a position of privilege. But even from her position of underprivilege, she faithfully served others with the truth. And God used her testimony for great good, as Tommy read the rest of this text this evening that we have not gone into. And so I pray that as we consider this unnamed girl as a hidden figure in Scripture, that we will all commit to faithfully serving God, even if we must do so from the shadows as a hidden figure. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ was willing to serve us and to serve you. Though he was equal with you, he was willing to humble himself before you and take upon himself the form of a servant so that he could serve you and ultimately in the cross so that he could serve us in the greatest way possible. But we recognize that we likewise are called to serve one another. We are called to serve one another within the church and indeed to serve others outside the church with the truth of the gospel. Thank you for the testimony that this little girl had. Thank you for the the witness that she had of being willing to share the little bit of truth that she had for the good of others. And we pray that you would give us that same heart attitude. Help us to be willing to go outside of ourselves, even to those who we might consider to be our enemies, in order to share the gospel truth with them. And we pray that you would use that witness, as you used this little girl's witness, for great good, for your glory, and for your kingdom's sake. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.